Welcome to Better Words, a podcast for readers who want to know the stories behind the pages. We're your hosts, Caitlin and Michelle, two book nerds who bring you in-depth conversations about writing and publishing from those on the inside. Basically, we're just here to talk about books. We're so glad you're joining us. Hello, welcome back to the final episode of the season for Better Words. Thank you for joining us on these episodes. We've really enjoyed sharing them. We hope that you've enjoyed them and we have a wonderful uh, interview for you to enjoy today. We had so much fun reading the book that we're featuring today and we had an immense time chatting to Lex Croucher so we're super excited to be sharing that with you but first it's book club time (laughs) we actually managed to do it to finish but um yeah we did uh maybe we should have done recommendations instead (laughs) maybe um but we didn't we did a book club and we're gonna talk about it and we're gonna completely full spoilers so you know if you potentially care skip it if you don't you know enjoy maybe you'll want to read the book afterwards maybe you won't who knows before we go full spoiler though um i think we should do a little summary um so that you know about the book and we'll give you our non-spoilery opinions and then we'll get into our spicy spoilery opinions (laughs) Yes. Okay. Fantastic. So our book club pick was Fish Out of Water by Kate Hendrick. It follows 15-year-old Finn, whose father has been out of the picture for a couple of years. He lives with his mother. His eldest sister and his mother don't really get along. um, And he's really dedicated to swimming. So his sister drives him to swimming every morning really early before school. um, And then he's also training after school or working out you know, it's a really, really big part of his life. And that was a big part of his relationship with his father. And this book kind of follows Finn as he is kind of deciding what to do and maybe like not ignoring the situation anymore. Like, should he try and find his father? What does, you know, what sort of happened when like that caused him to leave his life? Um, what does his sister think about all of this? What does his mother think about all this? There's also two new friends at school and they're sort of like asking and encouraging maybe does he want to look for his father? So that's, you know, the basis and the journey of this book. Mm. And Caitlin, Good your... non-spoiler version. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And your, your non-spoilery, like, opinion. My non-spoilery opinion is that if you were to look up this book and read the blurb, it barely says any of what I just said. Mm. (laughs) So I do think there's a lot, um, even before we go full spoiler, there is a lot that happens in the book, I think, that is not super well represented by the blurb. I can agree that it might be really hard to explain, but even what I just said about like the journey of what happened with this father leaving, like none of that is in the blurb. No. So I don't know. There's this book I... is basically just a lot more than what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. And I thought potentially from the blurb as well that we were going to get a situation where Finn maybe is questioning his sexuality. And a lot of the book, mm. I wondered whether that was going to be the case. And 
I'll explain like in my full spoilery things, but I don't think that this can be a queer book. Um, No. I think potentially there's, I think the thing is, I think I'm being generous in saying some of the things that we see with Finn are him questioning his sexuality, but it's so minimal and unfulfilled that I don't think that, I think this is a book where his friend, yeah, I think this is a book where he has a friend who is gay and that's it. And any suggestion of a relationship there is that that's absolutely not accurate. And I think, like I said, I think I'm being generous in saying, well, maybe we're getting him questioning that stuff. And I don't think a teenager would pick that up. And in light of that, I felt like some of the some of the things around the discussions about sexuality probably were more harmful than anything else. Um, mm. I don't think because I could recommend it this book. evolve in a way. Yeah, and I, I don't think, yeah. and that's why we want to go full spoiler as well. Is I don't think I could recommend this book because actually, the more I sat with it, the less I liked it. <laughs> um, I kind of got caught up in reading it because it's quite a fast read. Yeah, it's a tricky one because it is a fast read and it's pretty compelling and, you know, you want to figure out what happened. You want to, you know, find out what's going to happen. All of that, you know, normal stuff when you're reading a book. You're like, oh, what's going to happen? But I think there are just too many things at the ending that, yeah, having sat with it, having read the whole thing, like halfway through the book, I might have been like, oh, no, this is like, you know, would have told people about it or whatever. I don't think Same. I did just by yeah. circumstance. But yeah. um, now having finished it, I don't know. I can understand if people might be curious to read this book, mm. um, you know, based on what we'll continue to talk about. But I think there are just, yeah, there's one too many things once we sort of get to the end, having finished the whole book, sat with it. That, yeah, both of us are like, eh. Yeah, and and we should say too, like, both of us are big on, like, not finishing books if we're not enjoying them. Um, And that's the thing, both of us were enjoying it enough to keep reading it. And it's really only afterwards that I started to think a bit more about it that I thought, "Mm, no. Um, But also we should say that, like, we rarely ever do a book club where we come on and I I feel uncomfortable saying (laughs) – bad things about a book um because usually uh this is a really positive space and we don't want to be like slamming a book unnecessarily but um I just feel like have it it is a good one for discussion yeah I think actually this book and I sort of joked in a message to you I think you messaged me Michelle when you were maybe getting towards the end and I was like ha turns out good book club pick after all because yeah there's a lot there is a lot to talk about and and, you know, that's often a good thing in a book. I don't so, know. Like, it's strange to say it might not be, like, a top recommendation from us. But I think, yeah, like, I'm, you know, for the sake of having, you know, an interesting discussion about a book, I'm glad I read yeah, it. Yeah. I am glad that we read it. Um, I do feel a bit awkward talking about it because we usually are so positive about books. And it is an Australian YA, and so I feel bad about that. But I also don't want to pretend like we also are quite truthful with our stuff and we never pretend to like stuff that we didn't really like and I think yeah so shall we go full spoiler shall okay, we yeah. okay yeah so, enough this right. is your spoiler warning if you still care about spoilers skip ahead to the interview the time code will be yeah do the, not listen because um, we are literally going to tell you what <laughs> yeah. happened right yeah so Throughout the book, 
Finn starts uh, hearing and understanding um, things from his mum and his sister and a random somewhat kind of friend acquaintance at school that suggests that maybe his dad was actually quite controlling and abusive. And that really concerns him, understandably. Yes, it does. And he misunderstood because he never experienced that from his father. So he is, you know, questions his, the opinions of his mother and of his sister. And it's like, well, no, that's not what he was like. And, you know, all of mm. that sort of stuff. And as a reader, and hopefully as an educated reader, I was like, okay, so your father was financially, emotionally, and physically abusive. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Like, so this I is had a, lot, a of... lot more out of this book than I first thought. <laughs> I had a lot of problems with that because Finn is actually such a dickhead. And I know he's a teenager, <laughs> but the fact that, like, when his mum like starts to disclose that stuff and like as we later find out he witnessed things where or he would hear his dad call his mum a stupid bitch and he just like never questioned that that was yeah. an issue like it made me yeah. so or, or uncomfortable like that she being was silly with money yeah even though she's a school principal yeah that's one thing that really sort of like caught me was when Finn like and this is like a moment of realization for him Mm. as a character where he's like well how could dad think she was silly with money because she's a school principal and like is in charge of all the money (laughs) like but Finn doesn't even have a very high powerful job Finn does not have that realization someone at school who does not even know his family points that out to him and that's a whole Mm. other thing in itself but I I I hated by the end being inside his head because he was just repeating the things that his dad would say. So I think as well, a big issue I have looking back at this book is that there is, it does, there is no sort of indication that this is going to have anything to do with domestic violence or emotional abuse or coercive control. And I think actually that being inside Finn's head like that could be quite triggering to a lot of people and I think that all there of those storylines are really yeah. sprung on the reader. Yeah, there's nothing in the blurb or like anything about this, which I think yeah is an issue because it, it's a huge people issue. kind of have a, to know what they're going into. This is an, and this is a fairly new book as well, so I feel like the discussions around coercive control and stuff like that, like enough people are impacted by this that you should be aware of that in either the blurb or in putting a trigger warning in. Um, at the end of the book, I think that there should have been some sort of, um, like helpline numbers and stuff as well. I mean, we as journalists have to do that when we report on anything. I think there should have been some sort of extra support because there are some really tough topics. Now, I think that those topics absolutely should be discussed in a teenage, for a teenage audience. I mean, these are people who are growing up and then going out and forming relationships in their own in their own right and they need to understand what coercive control looks like and i guess the problem and i'm i'm not i'm not going to be able to articulate it very well i tried to write some notes about it but i think the the sense that i got was that this book is trying to show us through Finn's point of view how children can be used and therefore also abused by their parents because Finn is used as a pawn by his dad in his dad's abuse of his mum and his sister. And that's why he doesn't see yes. their abuse the same way. But 
as I said, Finn's thoughts being in his point of view around this are really confronting because he is mirroring a lot of what his dad, an abuser, says and believes. He does yeah. switch at the end for reasons which we are going to go into, but I don't think that there was enough challenging of that in the person who challenges that is like this kind of tokenistic character, another woman there to be like, oh, well, Finn, don't you think that blah, blah, blah. It's like I have so many issues with how that was challenged. And I am going to say as well, I have some ideas for how the story could be improved. I'm not just going to sit here and be like, this was all that was wrong with it. I'll tell you at the end what I think could have been done better, just in case anyone cares about my opinion. Yeah, same. But yeah. yeah, I know we both have those opinions, but yeah. So as we've sort of, as we've said, yeah, Finn is, he is mirroring some of this behavior. He was, he was, I mean, he's just ignorant mm. to this behavior and like, you know, is uneducated about, you know, these different types of abuse and things, which yeah, is where this kind of friend that he has like two conversations with at school comes in, which is really weird. But, it was strange to um, me, that character, because they're not actually friends before the start of this, is my understanding. It's just no. a girl he talks to on a at a bench. And I was like, why would... Yeah, when he happens should, to yeah. get to school, like, early enough or something. Yeah. It's, a bit, it's a bit odd. That but, is very odd. But then also the other thing that kind of comes into it is that Finn has clearly been suppressing a lot of these memories um, for his own trauma because as we find out as he's confront as he's you know confronting this and feeling all of these things we find out that the night his dad left his dad was yes being physically abusive to his mother strangling and Finn was his witnessing mother, it to the point yeah. where she blacked out and she blacked out and so she doesn't know that this happened but Finn was witnessing it and got a cricket bat and hit his father in the head and he died multiple times he kept going yes he murdered yes. his father to... and yeah it just And then we find out at twelve did this and put him in the boot of his own of his father's car, drove him to a security lock, like to a storage unit that he was pretty sure his mum and sister didn't know existed, and hid him in the freezer for three years. And his mum and who is dating someone who used to be friends with his dad, his mum woke up from being unconscious when she clearly should have had some medical attention, um, woke mm. up from that and just assumed that the the person, the friend of hers who knew her husband and had, they they actually, like this was sort of a a good bit of the discussion is she'd said, oh, I used to like leave comments on like a gardening forum and he knew to check that and if I hadn't left a comment, then something, because she said that she was in fear for her life. So the friend um, would, which I, was it like Owen or something? He, um, Oscar. Oscar. He would come check on He her. would check. Yeah. So she was like, well, obviously I didn't that night. So he must have checked. And then I just assumed that he took care of everything. Meanwhile, yeah. Oscar he discloses says, to. This, this is a really strange part. He, so Oscar says, the mum's boyfriend says that he tells her, I took care of it. He thinks she killed him and he found the car. And took care of that, like abandoning mm. the car, you know, so that no one would find it. She hears, I took care of it, and thinks that he killed him. And they proceed to be in a romantic relationship for three years. Yeah, which, I mean... It's just really strange. Like, in some ways, I'm like, look, they both... And at one point as well, so Oscar and 
Finn don't get along. Finn does not like Oscar. He no. feels like he's encroaching on his dad's territory and he's trying to take the place of his dad and everything. In an effort to bond, Oscar discloses to Finn that he thinks that his mum might have killed his dad and that Oscar took care of the car. He's like, I'm a good guy. I yeah. took care of it. I'm, and so that it's to me is just strange. so weird. And then we keep going down the rabbit hole of Finn's unraveling mind, which again could be really confronting even if you haven't experienced domestic abuse. We are literally inside someone's mind as they basically break down. Um, and we realize that the dad is in the freezer. Um, and the ending is just so unresolved. So Finn tells his sister, Connie, basically, I killed dad is in the freezer. Then they tell Oscar, who's also a cop, that he's in the freezer. And Oscar gets like forensics over there. And then his mum, the last thing we sort of know what it is, his mum's like, oh, we'll have to go and make statements. Like, there are so yeah, she's like, th- we'll have to go the- make statements, but don't worry, we won't let anything happen to you. And there's just like, why? I'm just are you left gonna like, like I've watched so many. I've watched so many police procedurals. Like, what are, are you just gonna lie for him? Or like, what? Like, there's just so many plot holes with that particular part. It's so, of the- <laughs> it's yeah, it's so unanswered. And what I said to you, Michelle, in a message before, like as we were both reading this book, was that. It's a strange ending, but also if there was an epilogue or something where Finn had maybe um, gone to juvie or, like, you know, was in court or, you know, was being punished, you know, some way, then potentially as a reader you could feel like, oh, but it was self-defence. Like he was in, you know, it was a well, horrible, Well, it was. This is father. the thing. It was. But, <laughs> but, then if there, but then if there was an epilogue where he completely got away with it, mm. as a reader, you might be like, ah, but you murdered your father. Like, what? Yeah. Nothing's just like, going to happen. Everything's I... fine for the rest of your life. <laughs> but that's also the feeling that I got from the ending. So I would have preferred something yeah. at least. Like, it was very unsure. And then the final ending is that Finn then, after telling his sister and stuff, goes and tells this random girl at school who he's been talking to and they've sort of been fighting why why would you do that a girl that at the start of the book that you had only just met like you're not I I don't understand the reasoning for that at all and I just wonder whether the epilogue could have been something like related to therapy around or as you say like a court case or making the statements and having some discussion in there around um, that side of things because that feels very unresolved. Um, But also I just feel like that whole plot line, I just find it so hard to believe that for three, three years nobody has questioned the whereabouts of this person, not his workmates, nobody. Like, if it was a well, see, that's if the it was thing. a shorter if time frame, mother, that might make the sense. The mother sent emails from the dad's account to his family, saying mm. that he'd had an affair and had gone like gone overseas with with another woman. So she took care of just... it in that way, but no in a, photos, in a scenario. No, and, like... and yeah, I know. But she even says this in the or Oscar does, I think, in that like that was a smart thing, like having thought. She thought Oscar killed him, so she lied to his family, saying he was like, "Oh, I've 
I've moved overseas with, you know, some young woman I was having an affair with or whatever. Mm. And it's like, yeah, and no one's going to bring that up because how awkward to discuss the fact that your husband left you for someone like younger and has gone overseas with his, you know, like. But that even that to me really, seems really so weird strange. because I just don't think it's that really that would, weird. I just don't think that that would happen. Not enough. And yeah, I, I have a lot of issues with Aelia as a character um, and the fact that she is basically used as a tool to call him out on his shitty bullshit. Um, yeah. It just felt really uncomfortable. Like why would he confess something to her that he didn't even fully understand before that? Like it just. The order that he told people is his sister, his mother, and the girl he's spoken to three times. And his sister and his mother were it's, basically like, oh, okay, good, yeah, no, he was a bit of an asshole, hey. Like, it's very... Yeah. It's or like, so oh, weird. that's what happened, right, okay. Oh, that's what like happened, he yeah, said, okay, oh, yeah. Like, like, oh, we like, better help you hide the body then, like, oh, like, what? It's so weird. Yeah, and um, this all yeah. happened, like, right at the end. Yeah. So it's like... It's, it's like really, the last, like, 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 50 pages maybe that... Right up until that point, I was like, oh, I did no, think the like, had done what it. happened? Like, it, I did. I thought the mum had done yeah. it. And is that better? Well, no, but it's slightly more believable than a yeah. 12-year-old kid doing all of that and not getting found out at all, 13 or whatever it's he was. So... It still doesn't make sense that as a 13-year-old, your instinct is like, how did he even carry the body, like, without being seen? And it just... <laughs> Like this isn't a random story. Yeah. This is story. This is storage in a garage that's part of someone's house. Like it does not make sense. Maybe no. if the timeline, maybe if it had been like six months instead of three years, three years is so yeah. long. And it is I just, long. yeah, yeah, it just, yeah. And I just wrote in my notes yeah. like no one ever questioned the dad not being around like ever like his credit cards aren't being used like nothing like I'm pretty sure it just that doesn't make sense um yeah but like none of that does make sense and also just to completely jump over to what really does feel like a completely weird separate storyline Loki, oh God, the new yeah. guy at swimming, yeah. who's really, okay. really cool. This whole and story they go line, climbing together. This, okay, so this whole storyline. It's a different book. <laughs> could have been completely cut out because that storyline was really sporty, super masculine guy suddenly realized he had feelings for another really super sporty, masculine guy and is struggling to understand his own sexuality. And that is never, ever resolved. I will say I loved that they went climbing together. Loved that. They like nearly touch hands at one point and I was like, yes, okay, they're going to kiss. But then I also was looking at how much was left of the book and I was like, there is not enough time to resolve all this. Like it just, no. that should not have been And like when Loki comes out to him was a nice story. Well, the thing is, is that it's two completely different stories, mm. isn't it? Mm. Mm. So He also dates a girl. The book is either about. Yeah. Yeah. In an attempt to distract him from all of this. 
that both poor girl. The, I think oh my both, god. <laughs> I think to distract himself from both maybe his feelings for Loki and also the fact that he's suppressing that he murdered his dad. So there's like Oh yeah, yeah. But I also He just so, needs a distraction. I also think, yeah, if you took the Loki storyline out of the equation, what and and the fact that Finn murdered his dad, like that just makes no sense. Like make it be the mum or something. I, because I just don't think that a teenager could effectively hide that. But like, I, and this is a 13 year old who from all, like from what we kind of know has had like quite a privileged sheltered upbringing as well. Like I don't yeah. understand how he's <laughs> coming up with that plan and no one's getting suspicious for three years. How did he clean up all the blood? My TV watching it's a mess. would show that <laughs> it is a mess. Like how... Where, how are you as a 13-year-old driving know. the body away, dumping the car, cleaning it all up, all while your mum is unconscious, honestly, which you should have some the medical The thing that really got her. me, well, absolutely. And honestly, one of the things that really got me was I was like, he drove? Mm. I was like, how did you know how to drive? Knows how to, like, yeah. Like, and didn't crash the car. Like, <laughs> I know. It just... And like no, and knew to leave the car in like a bad part of town or something. Yeah. Like it was ridiculous, it was very like, odd. So, so many so of these little if, details. For example, that just it right was at the, the mum. If we to say it was the... everything and like that, that's it ruined it a little it bit. Did. Like I was, I was, I was with it, and then I totally would have been yeah. on board if it was the mum because I totally could have understood that. Um, I think if it was the mum. I think this could have been a really amazing book looking at sort of the way the family has broken apart um, because we never really fully understand why his sister and his mum don't get along, why we understand that his sister had to move out of the house because his dad was abusive to her, but then her mum took her key off her and all this other stuff. And like, so we never really understand why, so there could have been more exploration of that. There could have been that sibling relationship, maybe the female sibling trying to help the male golden child sibling understand what has happened. And I think the bits with Alia, you know, on a school bench, a random stranger who is just a teenager as well, um, could be have been replaced with actual therapy sessions. Because the other thing that strikes me as really odd is that even thinking that her boyfriend or like sort of friend killed her husband um the mum doesn't organize any counseling for her kids even though she has been in an abusive relationship and the reason I find this odd is because she's a school principal so she yeah understands the sort of services that are available and surely thinking that the husband's dead you might also think well maybe my children need some therapy it would make a lot more sense if the things that finn realizes were things that a therapist bought out of him rather than a random 15 year old girl who's not even really his yeah. friend or if maybe this you know maybe the girl who he you know happens to talk to one morning and then keeps talking to a couple of mornings if that girl is the girl he starts dating as a distraction maybe because they have become a bit closer and like that's actually a real relationship and not just him he literally looks around the, the class hottest and girl like, Ooh, which hot girl can i pick she's hot and like yeah. which is i'll try and talk to her like today it's ter- mm. like it's terrible mm. um 
but so like that might have made more sense like if they actually had gotten a bit closer or something so that would be like if you know the low-key part of it is not part of it the new friend that he becomes close with is you know some version of the Aliyah character and it's like they merge Aliyah Madison the girlfriend and Loki the new friend all into one mm. that mm. could have worked mm. or this yeah. separate book completely which is you know super masculine athletic sports star Swimmer. suddenly questioning his personality and goes rock climbing it's really fun like yeah. that part is fun and like suddenly is questioning and... his sexuality and like uh-oh what what am i to do i think i have feelings but i can't because i'm you know so ma- masculine and like yeah kind of that sort of coming out and that story. is a book that is We've a whole read book those in books. itself and i'm sure it would have been a good book. It would have been. I don't and know. I think just... I think exploring domestic violence and coercive control relationships would have been really good too. But to me, like, there was also this weird thing between like Finn and his mom and like like I said, his sister and his mom, and it just all felt really weird and not nuanced enough for the really difficult discussion. Yeah. Another thing that made me uncomfortable was when you know, we as a reader sort of realise that um, Finn's mum thinks that Oscar killed his father mm. and so she's been in a relationship with him since and I that made me feel uncomfortable like that was out of a sense of, like, repayment to, or, yeah. Or, yeah. or duty or or even, like, fear again yeah. that, like, That's such you know, I can't not I be with the guy who killed my husband. Like, it's really weird. That. That's so weird. Ew, I feel really gross now. But then on the other side, when we realise that it's like, so that also at the same time is realising that Oscar thinks his mum killed, you know, the father. Yeah. And like, he still loves her, which is kind of nice. Yeah. But also, I don't know. It's Like, he's a cop. It just it's weird. really weird. So... I think we better wrap up here. This all happens at the end so quickly, (laughs) which is why it's so boggling to us and why we've talked about it for so long. Because I would say like 70% of the book is like, oh, is this going to be a thing where he's questioning his sexuality? Like 70% of the book, I was like, I can't really see where this is going. Maybe his mum murdered his dad. Like it, yeah, it, it's really bizarre. I thought Loki and Finn were going to like find his dad together and he was still gonna realize that he's maybe not that great but that loki is great you know yeah. like that was yeah well happen, yeah maybe but... he was gonna meet his dad again and be like oh actually you are a really abusive prick um but it does make sense that his dad didn't leave because sadly most men like that won't leave and his no. mom was right to be scared because women are continually murdered by their partners so you know that that was true but again i feel really conflicted that there's no sort of support considering it's recommended for ages 14 plus and there's no other avenues to recommend support um and I would say like if you want to read a really nuanced thing and this is an adult book I don't have a young adult equivalent but After the Fall by Louise O'Neill I'll link our old episode with Louise and we had a like, even when we did that episode interviewing her, we wanted to put some links and numbers in there for people to get in touch if they needed help. We were discussing a lot of tough topics. Yeah. And that book is 
is someone's point of view inside a coercive relationship um but so many times like Finn would be like I don't I just don't get why she didn't leave like it was her choice to stay and this is rebutted a couple of times yeah Yeah. and it's rebutted a couple of times but I don't think significantly enough to be like well Finn actually it's most dangerous for a woman when she decides to say and she's most at risk of being murdered then and so are her children like I just don't know whether there was enough sort of discussion of that and you know maybe that that could have been discussed in the context of actual real life cases to give like it just it happens so often and it's just horrible um but I just don't think it was dealt with in the in the best way possible like this just felt unfinished and I feel really horrible being so harsh about a book because we are usually so overwhelmingly positive on the podcast, but I just feel really. And I almost feel like, (laughs) I almost feel like we are being too harsh, but it's kind of like what you said at the start is that the more time Mm. since, you know, we've both finished reading it, we've talked to each other a little bit about it. We've obviously talked about it, you know, live here for your wall. (laughs) The more weird I feel about it. Like it just gets weirder. I had not considered the fact that, Finn's mum might feel like she needs to be in a relationship with Oscar because Oscar could have murdered her husband. And when you brought that up, I was like, oh, yeah, that is weird. Um, And it's just weird to me. They never talked about it. It's like, yeah, it's very strange. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I would like to find another YA book that, it deals with those. I think those issues are incredibly important. I think they're incredibly important for young men to have those views. Um, sort of, what's the word? Yeah, talked about and challenged. Talked about challenge, challenge. Yeah. Um, but I just don't think this hits the mark. Uh, yeah. Um, so this was a tough book club for us to do, I think. But I think these are a lot of different and important topics in books that are like, if they're not handled super, super well, that it's good to talk about and definitely one for discussion. So who knows? Maybe it is a good recommendation for your book club. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and we've talked a lot about want, it. Yeah. So, yeah. We have, but if you want a more fun read, God, can we recommend Gwen and Art are not in love. Yes. It is oh so, God. so fun. And it's so brilliant. We are so excited to end Season 10 of Better Words with Lex Croucher. Our guest grew up in Surrey reading a lot of books and making friends with strangers on the internet and now lives in London with an elderly cat. With a background in social media, they write historical-ish rom-coms for adults and historical fantasy rom-coms for teenagers, which is what we are discussing today with their debut YA novel, Gwen and Art Are Not In Love. Welcome to the podcast, Lex Croucher. Hi, thanks for having it's me. So, we're so excited so to talk us. about this book. It's so much fun. This is, this is like the first, it's Monday and the book comes out Thursday in the UK for me. So this is like kicking off the week. <laughs> 
of my of my oh, launch. What so an exciting place! Not to put any pressure yeah. on you, but it better be great. <laughs> <laughs> what an exciting place to be on the schedule, and not at all terrifying. <laughs> yeah, just Wait, like make this the best interview of my life, please. Challenge accepted. I'll be furious. Accepted. We'll try our best. <laughs> so we always do like to start with the very obvious question, which is. You know, we've had the pleasure of reading this book, but would you like to tell everybody else what this book is about? Gwen and Are Not in Love is a queer YA medieval rom-com uh, about two people who've been engaged since birth and have hated each other for almost as long. Um, one of them is a very sheltered and flexible princess of England called Gwen, and she likes routine and embroidery, and she likes hanging out with her brother. And the other is a very rakish, outrageous lord who spends half his time waking up in ditches. And they genuinely are not in love and will not be in love, but they are forced to spend the summer together at Camelot ahead of their wedding. And they discover that they're both queer and they form a very reluctant pact to cover for each other. I absolutely love it. It's so, it's so, it's so much fun. And we were saying just before we hit record that Caitlin and I were texting each other throughout being like, this is so fun. I love it. Like I just love all the characters in this book. It's just yeah. It's just brilliant. It is. A- it's so delightful. And also one of these, you know, text messages I sent Michelle um, was me being kind of an idiot because I'd not reread the blurb. Like upon, you know, we like pitched, you know, to interview you, we got the proof sent and everything. And then when I went to read it, I didn't reread the blurb or anything. So <laughs> barely any time into the book, I was like, oh my God, I bet he's going to get with the brother. <laughs> And it's like, that's on the blurb. That was not, I already knew that. <laughs> but I love, I love it when people, I love that. That's actually how I go yeah, into most books blurbs. that I read because I love to have a little, a little vibes blurb. Like, you know, one of those ones that's like two or three lines and just gives yeah. you kind of like the broad strokes. But most of the time when I'm reading a book, I do not reread the blurb because ultimately if you were reading it sort of cold as you were, that's the experience that I imagined because yeah. you don't think about like what exactly will be on the back. Well, some people probably do. People who are better at the business of publishing than me. But you don't tend to think like what will be on the back cover. You just, you want to bring the reader along on that journey. And so I loved that, like, as you just said, and also lots of my kind of early readers were like, I don't know if I'm getting this wrong, but I'm really getting vibes that like maybe this brother situation and I was like yeah well exactly so I'm glad you you got the you you got the vibes I was putting out there because that was yeah now it's on now it's on the back cover so everyone knows yeah but again if you forget to read the back cover or reread it when you actually go to read it like I did yeah the first time when um Arthur has just arrived in Camelot and like falls over or Gabriel falls over or something I've forgotten now Arthur Arthur's always falling over it's he gonna must be have fallen over. yeah he must have fallen yeah. over and it was just like and they like looked at each other and he was just like oh and I was like I love it. I'm <laughs> I want and of course, we also, so we've mentioned obviously Gwen and Arthur, um, but we also have a really wonderful, sexy female knight as well, uh, who is a brilliant part of the story too. Um, yeah. And <laughs> do you want to tell us a little bit about her other love interests in this book? Yes. I actually almost have a tattoo of 
the other i don't know you won't be able to see this people listening won't be able to see <laughs> it, it is amazing is, medium I, but we can oh my god yes let me describe it to you it's a tattoo of a lady knight with a sort of blunt cut haircut and it's actually based on an old painting of joan of arc um but we changed it a bit and now i just feel like i'm walking around with one of my own characters tattooed <laughs> on me and that's not completely accurate but it's also not completely inaccurate so um so we yes Gwen, our main character, has had a crush for a long time on the kingdom's only lady knight, Lady Bridget Leclerc. Um, I don't know why. So, so basically, because <laughs> because obviously the grand tradition of Arthurian stories, a lot of them are French, um, and also just because of like what was happening at that point in kind of English history, I ended up going very French with all the last names. And but they're kind of fake French, you know, they're just sort of made up fantasy French and names like Leclerc. I was like, to me, that's like the perfect, like, that's a hot, great, (laughs) yeah, 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 yeah. Like, De Lacey is Arthur's last name, and I'm like, "Mm, is that French vaguely? But Leclerc is like, yeah, so it sounds um... right, and that's all (laughs) that's, yes, exactly. So, Bridget is um, a very kind of tenacious and <laughs> i love i just have no idea how to describe her <laughs> bridget is how do, how does one even begin to describe bridget um she is kind of like very she's actually quite level-headed compared to the the rest of the characters which is really fun because you do have to have your kind of ridiculous characters and then you're sort of more like straight <laughs> straight characters yeah um and Bridget's definitely more level-headed but she is the kind of character that I love who doesn't say much but when they do say something it's like a great little like well thought out one liner or something really funny because I've known people like that in my life where it's like they'll be really quiet in the corner and they're not necessarily kind of being really loud and adding to the banter but then they'll come out with just like one or two like perfectly pitched little little observations or whatever and to me that that kind of encapsulates Bridget but she is entering the tournament at Camelot and she is trying trying to win and she's been trying to do that for a few years so and people aren't super welcoming to poor old Bridget at the tournament but she doesn't care except Gwen Gwen is very welcoming very excited very welcoming (laughs) (laughs) um and then i did briefly mention of course gwen's brother gabriel um but then there are two other characters who i really enjoyed reading about as well and so maybe can you just to round this out (laughs) tell us a little bit about sydney and um and agnes sydney and agnes are just basically in their own bubble having their own like like falling like a whole other other and having yeah. their yes you could literally write a book called sydney and agnes are in love and it's just <laughs> the the whole story behind the scenes of what happened in their mm. relationship because we don't see much of it we just see mm. them being sort of but i like to imagine they were having these huge grand dramas and we're just too busy with the main characters to know what was going on. But it's like, if there's ever like a Gwen and Art TV show, it would just be like, oh, this is what was happening <laughs> with uh, yeah. with Agnes and Sydney oh, behind the scenes. Like so much drama. Over here a bit. It yeah. was, oh, I mean, yes. the little snippets we did get of them were so wonderful. But also, for anyone who hasn't read the book yet, half the time it's just like, oh, and they're kissing again. <laughs> yeah, everyone's like, <laughs> which oh, is God, hilarious. Okay, come on, guys. <laughs> I realized I didn't even I didn't even explain who they are. So Sydney is Arthur's body man, bodyguard, servant, 
and Agnes is Gwen's lady-in-waiting. So she is a lady of noble birth who spends all her time hanging out with Gwen because she has to, because it's her job. Um, so I like to think that it's very kind of Romeo and Juliet at the beginning because their bosses hate each other. Just, just so much, so much going on behind the scenes with those two that did not make it to the page. Mm. Um, and before we sort of talk about the actual world that you've created, I did want to talk about a really, I thought really funny post that you did sort of for people who haven't read the book, sort of myth busting some of the things, um, with some things this book is not, do you mind telling us about like some of the misconceptions about the book just before we dive in so people can get a really rounded overview of what we're talking about? Yeah. <laughs> Also, because people might already be confused yeah. by what we're talking about. <laughs> by what so we're far. talking about. Yeah. It is confusing. <laughs> so Gwen and Art uh, is, is not a retelling. That's the main one. So I guess if you use a very broad um, definition of the word retelling, then you could say it is a retelling because it does reimagine certain parts of the kind of Arthurian canon but ultimately it takes place hundreds of years after King Arthur. And I think that's the thing that most people aren't expecting. Um, I, I don't know if we should have just written, it's not a retelling <laughs> on the back, the back cover, but I think maybe it, I should have a copy of my own book to hand to see whether or not it says that it's hundreds of years after King Arthur. But anyway, so it, when I, when I wrote the book, I knew this would be confusing and I just decided I didn't care. Um, because ultimately what I wanted was like to reference, uh, Arthurian stories and characters and have that be part of the fun backdrop for this, for this book. But I was not interested in doing an actual retelling and there's loads of them out there and there's loads of great ones, but that just wasn't what I was into. <laughs> but it is confusing because it says Gwen and Art on the cover and it's medieval so i understand why people do think it's a retelling but it's not a retelling we're just playing in the in the arthurian sandbox you know we're just having fun with that as kind of background texture um one of the other things that it's not to me is a traditional romance and that happens with a lot of my books um i don't really write romance novels but they tend to get categorized as romance because the closest genre we can get is rom-com because there is romance, like romance is part of the plot in all my books. But a lot of the time it's more about kind of friendship or coming of age. And for me, I think the main love story in Gwen and Art is between Gwen and Arthur and the other plot lines with the kind of love interests are our side plots, to be honest, because like the story of them learning how to be each other's friends or to basically be friends at all with anyone in Gwen's case um, is, is the kind of main love story for me. And the last thing that it's not is an epic fantasy. Um, it's a very kind of like gentle uh, that it, I mean, it's, I, I use the phrase his, like fantasy historical, which I don't know if that's even a real thing, but what I'm trying to get out with that, maybe I've invented a genre, <laughs> probably not. Um, <laughs> what I'm trying to get out with that is that it's in a kind of parallel history timeline. So it's history that did not happen. Um, we are not constrained to the realities of our timeline because King Arthur 
and you know the knights of the round table that is a that's a fantasy that's a um oh my god myth that's what i it's a myth it's a legend yeah. my brain yeah, is not yeah. working this morning and because we're <laughs> in that mythic legendary timeline you don't have to stick to kind of exactly what would have been happening in that year and also i never say a year so i have had a few um i've had a few people expect it to be more high fantasy or epic fantasy and it's definitely not that and i've also had people get upset about um historical inaccuracy <laughs> to which i have to be like yes and king arthur was totally real yeah. and all this stuff definitely <laughs> happened so yeah but you know it's kind of inevitable when you write in this sort of area when you have fun with anachronism yeah. is that it's going to be a marmite kind of book wait do you guys have marmite of course you do yeah we have vegemite marmite, yeah right vegemite. Yeah. vegemite yeah sorry in new zealand they have the marmite that's like just like thick concentrated like black as tar kind of situation <laughs> and here we have like baby marmite um you're gonna love it or you're gonna hate it and that's that's yeah, fine. no, we definitely loved it. And yeah. neither of us, I mean, anyone who listens to this podcast regularly knows that we are not big fantasy readers. We're not big historical readers. We like a mm. little bit and we're not like, we like kind of fantasy light things. <laughs> and this is like that. Yeah, it's like, I will often say like light. Yeah. I can do as opposed to high fantasy. I know. Like, like this fantasy. is, this is heavy <laughs> on the characters and the relationships between them, which is exactly what we love about contemporary fiction. It just so happens to be set in like a medieval setting and I got like very um like what was that one was that is it the movie where like Heath Ledger like travels back in time or something or someone travels, a night's tale yeah tale. I just was like imagining all that oh. sort of stuff and I was like it doesn't have to be accurate like I loved that um and it's written in such an engaging and fun way which I also think um people may not necessarily be expecting like it's it isn't historical fiction it isn't all like you know confusing <laughs> <No>. and boring <laughs> if I can say that <laughs> See, I have to defend historical fiction here because yeah, I love historical yeah. fiction but I do think that um I have been thinking about this a lot lately of course because writers are just consumed with their own of course writing lives 24 7 um but the things that we think of as like historical writing. So if you wrote a medieval book, you would absolutely need to be writing in like middle English for the time that I'm writing about. Um, and that's like a whole different, it's a whole different language and mm. would be relatively, relatively difficult even for like someone who's very, very into serious history to read. And I'm sure there are ways that you could sort of have fun with it and do a kind of slightly more accessible version of something like Middle English. But ultimately, if I had written this book with more kind of archaic language and more kind of historical language, it still wouldn't have been historically accurate because if you're, you know, writing about, I mean, again, there's no, I don't put a specific date on Gwen and Art because I don't need mm -hmm. to. It's, it's all, it's all made <laughs> up. Um, but if you said it was like the 1300s and yet you were writing in a very kind of Victorian style, for example, which is, I think a lot of the kind of historical, we always imagine it to be kind of Victorian in tone. That also just wouldn't be accurate. Mm, yeah. So when people are like, why is this written not historically why why does it feel so contemporary i'm like well if i'd written it to be like a victorian book it also would have been contemporary compared to mm. the time and if i sound defensive 
it's because <laughs> I am. No, it's um, it's just it is a hot topic among Ooh. like historical fiction because some people like to have the historical fiction feel as historical as possible, even if they know some of it's not necessarily a hundred percent accurate like things like the writing style and that's totally fair and fine um but that's just not really what I'm doing especially not with yeah I mean that's the other thing this is a book for teens a fun book for teens and you know women in their 20s who just want to read fun queer YA YA. (laughs) um but on that note obviously you have written um some other adult books that are set in different time periods so can you tell us a little bit I guess how this differs from those in terms of what you were saying about the flexibility I guess of the language and the the writing style and the kind of you know things that you can make up and spice up the story a little bit with I write Regency uh that's what I've written previous to to Gwen and Art um I have two Regency books out one is called Reputation and one is called Infamous and I have another one coming out in July uh which is called Trouble very Taylor Swift themed (laughs) names and that's and it wasn't an accident it was all very very taylor swifty and And mastermindy yes exactly we're gonna Um, we are gonna talk about that later as well we're gonna ask you about that book a bit later well i i can't even remember what (laughs) the one that's coming out in july my brain is just absolute mush (laughs) having two books come out at the same time is just like you know in the Devil Wears Prada, when Stanley Tucci's character is like, let me know when your life starts falling apart. That means it's time for a promotion. That is your life when you have multiple <laughs> books coming out in a year. You're just like, I'm doing so well, but you're crying as you say it. Um, yeah, it's too much going on. <laughs> it's too much going on. So uh, with the Regency stuff, I'm a big Austen fan. Um, I never really read much Georgette Heyer. I think I read one of her books after I had uh, written reputation but she's kind of considered like the gold standard for um like regency romance that's written kind of more recently than um obviously now we have things like bridgerton as well um which i've never read interestingly enough which is i've watched the show but it's one of those things where when you write regency people just expect that you are like a huge bridgerton fan um and that was not the case with me and when i wrote my first regency book reputation I was told that no one was interested in Regency and it wasn't really a thing, which is very funny because luckily it was acquired. (laughs) Yes. Luckily it was acquired. um, And, you know, someone sort of took a risk on Regency. And then Bridgerton happened about six months later before the book had come out. Which is why the it, cover of yeah, my it does first have, book is very Yeah, it does. I was thinking it does have a comparison, like yep. if Bridgerton meets uh it's like a oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> And the cover looks like the Bridgerton poster. <laughs> None of these things are accidents. It's got Wisteria on it. Um, no. This is what go, marketing, go marketing does. Yeah, exactly. They see a trend. They're going to jump on that trend. Um, but yes. So what am I even talking about? We I, were originally asking about how writing the different periods. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. So <laughs> then I just went on a Bridgerton tangent. So um the thing with the Regencies is they are anachronistic in tone and some of the dialogue, but ultimately as a big Austen fan, like I reread when I was writing Reputation, I reread all of Austen and I really wanted to find a kind of happy balance between it feeling Regency and like feeling Austenian and uh, having it be kind of accessible and like easy to read. 
And so that was a very intentional choice as well. But the anachronism in, in that is kind of more in the tone of the story, some of the dialogue, but the things that happen are all, you know, period, time period accurate. And I try not to use words, unless it's very funny, I try not to use words that weren't around at the time. So sometimes a turn of phrase will just be like a, you know, the joke only works if you use a particular word. And obviously I wouldn't use a word like iPad, <laughs> but you know, Not I would use a word. Crazy. Yes. I would use a word like pothole, or I think once I used a type of gun that I can't remember what, there was some description of something with a gun and then someone got very upset because that gun hadn't been invented for another 10 years. <laughs> and I was like, well, if there's 10 years in it, I'm afraid I'm, I'm not going to care. So that is kind of my approach is that I do try and stick to being quite historically accurate with those. Um, but as soon as it's more fun to like play around a little bit, then I tend to, then I tend to ditch the, the historical, which again, works for some people and for some people it's very frustrating. So yeah, some people are just real sticklers for the roles, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, but I yeah, but I do think like I and the, do get and the it people because... who are also are always more than happy to write in and find yeah, you and tell vocal. you that. So you <laughs> yes, know, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> but I think I think like it's just it's just a, a different thing that I'm doing, and what you have to hope is that the cover and the copy on the back and the reviews and stuff give people enough of a hint about what they're going to get that they're not disappointed because the worst thing you can do is have a misleading cover or a misleading blurb and then someone feels sort of tricked or cheated when they open the book so my hope is the fact that the covers of my books look very kind of modern and look very rom-commy I hope that means that people know what they're getting into. And obviously if it had a very serious historical cover and like some beautiful kind of, I mean, the illustrations are great, but you know what I mean? Like something very classical looking and they opened it and discovered that I'm using, you know, anachronistic language. And I've used the word pothole, even though it wasn't invented for another 60 <laughs> years, that they're not going to, feel yeah like feel like they've been yeah. they've been tricked into reading something they didn't want to because everyone has their own personal tastes and mm. that's fine yeah you've got to take the cover clues and if maybe that <laughs> brings us back to the Gwen and Art cover um <laughs> because I mean just as a side note we in Australia didn't get the really awesome proofs that had the gold scratch off like, that is amazing <laughs> that we saw those online and they looked really really cool so that was very cool um, What's funny about those is I, when I saw them and I was shown them by my publisher, I just went, oh, that's cool. But like, I didn't go like, this is the coolest thing ever. I think I was just very tired and burnt out at that point. So I was just like, oh, cool. Thank you. And didn't realize that TikTok, for example, was going to just absolutely go wild for them. Um, which I totally should have guessed because I love a little interactive thing. I love like an interesting proof or like an interesting kind of press package for something and I just kind of went like oh thanks nice <laughs> but I should have been like you're a genius well done this is the best thing ever which I did say afterwards obviously um yeah. but yeah it was one of those things where I always like to be like oh I kind of know what's cool and publishing and I've got my finger on the pulse of what of what people want absolutely not the case clearly <laughs> I had no idea that people would think that was so exciting so 
um, yes, huge hats off to my to my publishing team for coming up with that because I was just like, oh yeah, it's got some foil, nice. And then everyone was like, you can scratch off part of the proof cover. This is changing lives. <laughs> I mean, it is very cool looking, and like, yeah, I love different funny proofs, but it is. This is, you know, a bit of an unpopular opinion from me, I think. I think it is hilarious how into the proofs and advanced uh, readers' copies that uh, readers and, like, Bookstagram and BookTok and everything get because I actually work in publishing in Australia. I work at HarperCollins here. And, like, they're, they're worthless. They're not the real book. Like, we throw them in recycling when the book comes out. And I'm just like, stop it. I'm glad you're excited yeah, but... about the book, but like then buy a real book. <laughs> I see. You see, I, I kind of, I, most of the time I don't get it, but also I'm not a collector. And I think a lot, no. a big part of book culture on BookTok and Instagram is kind of collecting. Mm. And I know yeah. there's that meme, a meme about how like buying books and reading books are different hobbies or whatever. I don't think that, I think that most people who are buying these big collections of books are also mm. reading them. And there seem to be like very um, hardcore readers who are reading a lot more than I'm reading. Um, but I do think there's this kind of wanting to like collect every version, wanting to have the different special editions and the sprayed edges and the, you know, like that is a, that is a big part of kind of book talk culture and bookstagram culture which I don't know, it's chicken and egg. Like, I don't know if it came from people wanting to have all these books in the background of their, you know, bookstagrams, or if it's just like, that's a thing that a lot of people do anyway. And now we see it on social media. But um, I never really understood it until I, a few years ago, became absolutely obsessed with the Locked Tomb series by Tamsin Muir. Have you read it? No. <laughs> no. Okay, so it starts with a book called Gideon the Ninth. Have you heard no. of Gideon the Ninth? Oh, so oh, sorry. you gotta read it. <laughs> this podcast is now about the Locked Tomb series by Tamsinia. <laughs> I don't want to talk about my books anymore. I only care about Gideon the Ninth. Um, so the tagline for Gideon the Ninth is, um, oh, it's like lesbian necromancers in a castle in space, and that is it. That is basically what it is. To be fair, if you're not into kind of like more hardcore fantasy with a lot of world building these books are like <laughs> sometimes on purpose they are very difficult to read the whole thing is like a beautiful beautiful mystery that you are kind of unraveling throughout the series there's four books three of them are out the point of this is i'm not just going to talk about these books the whole time um even though i honestly could because i think of little else um i yeah i didn't really understand it uh now i have like three editions of each of that book and I have never ma managed to get a physical proof of any of them because they are in the US, actually a, a New Zealand author, but she lives in the UK. I've never bumped into her though. So <laughs> <laughs> not that I haven't tried. <laughs> anyway, um, I promise I'm not stalking Tams and Muir. Um, I, I've never managed to get physical proof, but I did manage to get an early copy of um, the latest book. And that literally was like my most precious thing. That like little EPUB file, I would have killed to protect that EPUB file. Like it, it was the most important thing to me in the whole world. Because all I wanted to do was read that book early. And it was the best day ever when I got to read it early. There are obviously changes to the final book. And yeah. um, when and 
as you were saying, like when I, when I'm working on proofs and I know what goes out as the proof and then I'm making changes afterwards, cause it, you know, it's normally small fixes, but sometimes it's like, you know, sometimes some, there can be more. Yeah. Yeah. Like sometimes there's like more lengthy tweaks to things and I'm like, Oh God, I can't believe that version went out to reviewers and stuff that has so many errors in it because the thing that I'm normally picking up is more like repeated words awkward turns mm. of phrases like in that last bit of editing or like typos and yeah sometimes I just cringe thinking about people having those <laughs> proofs because I'm like no no they should be in the recycling <laughs> nightmare scenario for people to well, be reading it makes those. you feel better I was so swept but up yeah, in the story I, I, I did not notice anything wrong with our proofs I was just like into it no. to be fair I actually think we spent a long time polishing ahead of proofs for Gwen and Art and I actually think that almost the very final text was the proof it might be the final text actually because Gwen and Art sold in 2021 early 2021 so it's been two years um of yeah, working on that book mm. yes we had a lot of kind of a lot of time to prepare it which is not <laughs> always the case and has not been the case with my other books and sometimes you are desperately crossing out typos right up until the print deadline. And often the typos just make it in anyway. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but I think this one was pretty polished. There's only a couple of things that have changed to the final I'm version. I'm still very excited to buy a copy in the UK. I'm, I'm in the stage of moving now where I'm actively trying to cull my book collection. Um, and I am being really harsh, especially on the books that have been sitting on my bookshelf for many years and have been not read. So they are, they are out. She messaged me on the weekend. She's like, I've DNF'd three books this morning. And I was like, I've oh. just <laughs> absolutely. I, yeah, and I have gone through, yeah. um, today and probably I've just been looking at reviews for ones that I have not read and they've been on my shelf for like an embarrassingly like I'm talking like nine or ten years like they went into storage the first time that we moved overseas and I've not read them and if I if the reviews don't look good I'm just I'm donating them you know whatever they can go so I'm just I mean I'm really trying to I'm really trying to chill on that but I am really looking forward to getting a copy of this because there is a map in the final copy and I love oh, that there is. um and there's just so many fun things but also the illustrations of the characters are just gorgeous mm. um the little foil details on the front cover like oh it's just it's it looks so beautiful yeah I'm very pleased with how it turned out because it was one of those things where I could not imagine what the cover would look like and at one point I had some vague idea that maybe it would look would have sort of um the illustrated manuscript style letters so have those kind of letters with like fancy fancy stuff around them like they had in medieval manuscripts um and I think part of me always imagined for some reason even though it's YA and it's fun that the cover would look kind of parchmenty, even though actually that is more of a kind of historical, like serious historical kind or serious high historical fantasy. Yeah. Yes. So I know the, I think it's the Robin Hobb yeah. books have these covers that are kind of parchmenty looking with, with the illuminated manuscript style letters. So that was in my head, even though I knew it would need to be a bit more fun and a bit more like youthful. And I think in the US, the cover is it's like pink and maroon and it's the same illustration i love the lettering um it definitely looks a little more grown up i think in the u.s which is actually just like a marketing thing in that i think in the u.s ya is they they think that ya is read by by older readers and they actually 
pitch it to be read by kind of not just so in the UK I think the age range is like 12 to 18 for this book although I question whether a 12 year old (laughs) might learn some new swear words from this book but you know 12 year olds these days probably know swear words that I don't even know like they probably have have invented their own language and I just don't know anything about it but in the US I think yeah they do pitch YA to be read more widely And like a and kind of upper end YA is more of a thing, which I think this probably falls into. It is a bit more upper end. The characters are 17, 18. So it is, it is, yeah, it's definitely a bit more grown up. So it was interesting seeing what was done with those two covers. As well. It's not like they're 17, 18 and like in year eleven or year twelve. Like they're like getting yes. married and trying to rule the country. Yes. Like fighting, fighting <laughs> yeah. battles and getting ready to yes. yeah, fighting battles. Fighting and... tournaments and, and doing yes. all that sort of stuff. Um I'm really interested as well, you there was a, a letter that came with our proof um talking a little bit about the writing process for this. Do you mind telling us a bit about where this book sort of came from um in terms of what was happening <laughs> when you started writing it? Well, um, the year was 2020 and I was in this very room that you can see and that listeners cannot see. And I'm lucky enough to have a little balcony, um, a very small balcony, which is great living in in London because a lot of the time you don't get that. Um, And it was locked down and it was basically this time of year. It must have been, yeah, April, May. And it I was reading so much YA. I basically used the time to catch up on all the YA that I had missed. And I was reading all this queer YA because that just hadn't existed for me when I was a teenager. Like, obviously there were some queer books, but the idea of being able to buy, you know, 20, 30 new YA books and have them all be queer was just like absolutely and I think I knew it was happening, but I hadn't set aside the time to kind of do all this reading and catch myself up. So I was reading a lot and I was also getting very back into like online fandom of things. And I was spending a lot of time on Tumblr and Tumblr was a great place to be in spring 2020 because Tumblr is a bit, um, it's kind of like, it's like there's been an apocalypse and then people have rebuilt from the ashes as in now everybody, I mean, I'm sure people are still arguing constantly on Tumblr, but it feels like Tumblr back in the day was just a terrifying place. And I loved it, but it was terrifying. But now it feels like everyone's kind of chilled out and is just sort of skipping around holding hands for most, for the most part, because it's like, we've been through the <laughs> the wild yeah. days been yeah. through hell and now we're here exactly. and we're all just hanging out so i was really enjoying spending time on tumblr i was like speaking to a lot of online communities around like different books that i love and sort of queer fandoms and getting very back into being a fan of things um and because i think i just sort of in my 20s i was busy <laughs> i was busy and i kind of developed different interests but i never was like a huge you know, I had bands I liked and stuff, but I I didn't really throw myself in like I did when I was a teenager mm-hmm. into like wholehearted, like just absolutely loving things. And I then I think really around... realized I'd lost yeah. some of that until yeah. like COVID happened. And then I was like, oh, I used to be like, I like still had been, you know, a bit of a fangirl of different things. But I think I remembered, I was like, I used to be 
way more like deeply into all yeah. of these things when I was like 16 Same. and I was like let's yeah. get back I've got the yeah. time it's fun <laughs> and you find a community yeah. of other people who share similar views to you often and it, it's just wonderful yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just really it was definitely there, but yes I interrupted you sorry <laughs> oh no it's fine I'm just monologuing <laughs> <laughs> Please do interrupt me because I'll just keep going. Um, Yes. So I was definitely like really throwing myself back into like, yeah, loving things and especially finding like queer fandom and having a lot of people to talk to online during a pandemic where obviously I was talking to friends over text and over the phone and eventually when we could meet up, we were going for our sad little walks in the park or whatever. I did many of those. But um, it was great. A sad little, like you're so excited to be like, let's go past the, let's go past the Costa and get a coffee and then sit in the park and be depressed, but together. Go for my horrible walk. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So it was really nice to like find all these people online and have all these people to talk to. Um, And it felt almost like a second teenagerhood where I just became a really enthusiastic fan of things again. And as part of that, I wanted to write something that kind of made me, that would make people feel, and also that made me feel while writing it the same way that I felt while reading these books where these characters um, in the YA that I was reading, I love books where the character work is so strong that you like, these people feel real. They feel maybe dialed up to 11, like ridiculous versions of real, um, but they are still kind of people that you can root for and care about. And they're really strong characters. And like, it's fun to put, you can imagine putting any of these characters in a room together, like any combination and having something funny and fun and interesting happen because you feel like, you know, the character so well and that was just basically what I was thinking about when I was writing it was that I wanted to write something really fun because you know <laughs> <Yeah>. life was <laughs> life was hard um I wanted to write something really fun really escapist and honestly just just be as ridiculous as possible and I still to this day like a few days before the book comes out cannot believe that anybody wanted to publish it because <laughs> even though I think it's really fun and I really enjoy it I still just think like it was me being my most ridiculous self it was me just going this will probably never get published I'm just writing it for fun I'm not gonna hold back I'm just gonna be silly and I'm gonna do exactly what I want to do in terms of like just spending loads of time with these characters I think in a way that is more reminiscent of fan fiction because I used to write a lot of fan fiction and you get to spend so much time hanging out with characters and doing fun, like interpersonal scenes. And, and a lot of the time in published books in like traditionally published books, you don't really get to do that because there's kind of a way that things are done. And I just went, I don't care. I'm just going to write whatever I feel like. And then I was like, Oh God, we've now sold this to a publisher and people are going to read it, <laughs> which is great. But also terrifying when you're like, this book was written just for me, just for fun. And now people are going to read it. Yeah. And if anyone doubts that attitude, the dedication literally says this one was for me. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Because it very which much I was. Love. I don't think I've ever seen another book like dedicated to like themselves. Interestingly enough, I have seen like two more in the past couple of years since I wrote that. And I think it it might be a pandemic thing because it's like people spent a lot of time by themselves being introspective Mm. and like 
writing the things that they wanted to write just to get them through. And I know that there are lots of authors who I think, have you read any Rainbow Roll? Caitlin has, yeah. 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 Yes. So I, I'm pretty sure. So that Rainbow Roll had a series and the most recent one, uh, the the last in the trilogy was called Anyway, The Wind Blows. And she talked about how the book was very different before the pandemic. And then she ended up just writing something I think that she needed to write because she was like, I, I couldn't write the book that I was going to write because of what happened. So it is interesting. And I do wonder if a lot of books um, would have been kind of darker or more serious or, and everyone was just like, no, I mean, some people obviously would have gone, would have embraced the darkness because it was a dark time, but people deal with things in different ways, you know, and I dealt with it by writing my most ridiculous kind of a nice tale. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. There absolutely is a lot of, I mean, you know, there's still a lot of, you know, dark books, you know, um, you know, lots of crime, everything. Cause as you said, people process things in different ways, mm. but I think a lot of people, yeah, would just have the time to write the book they'd always wanted to write or just thought now nah, what's fun. And like, we've, and people want to read, you know, talk to a lot of people now who have written their books, uh, during lockdowns because they lost their job or they abandoned the book they were supposed to write that year or, you know, all these different things. And it is, Wonderful. And yeah, I'm so glad that everyone still wants to read all these fun books because they're just fun. Like, let's have yeah. fun. And, and like, I, like I said, like, we like... have been reading a lot of serious books for this season as well. And it was such a joy. And it's really like, this is also why I have not been able to read a book since. Like, I've I've been go- picking up books and being like, no, don't like, don't like, don't like. So, you know, I haven't found something to replace the joy I was feeling with that. So, well, I have actually now since since I said that to Caitlin. That Ooh, what is it? It's Doubled Booked by Lily Linden, um, which, yeah, oh, yeah. which I, I, I got when we visited Gaze the Word. Yeah, we just had so much fun reading this book. And I think as well that idea of just letting go of everything that you should write or that people expect you to do. I think, you know, I, I don't want to be like, this book's going to be massive because it's it's not out yet, who knows, but we bloody loved it. It's true. Um, you could be the only people who've read it. It might just be you two, my biggest fans. But I think, I often think of things like that with um, Nanette by Hannah Gadsby, uh, where the whole stand-up special is her being like, I'm quitting, I'm just doing whatever I want. And people, I think, respond to that like authenticity of of you just sharing something that you genuinely love and that you Mm. genuinely just are like I'm doing this because I believe in in doing this and telling this story like I think people love that Um, and I think that does come through in like a subconscious way maybe in in books and stuff where (laughs) you're like yeah this obviously was fun to write and that translates to us being fun to be in this world with these people. They're, they're just amazing. Um, so before we talk about your sort of journey to publishing, which is something we ask everybody who comes on the show, um, do you want to tell us a little bit about Trouble, considering it's going to be out in a few months? <laughs> yeah. I actually we can't believe <laughs> Yeah. Skip ahead from May to July, which is not a very big gap it's also, in, that's, in the publishing. It's, not a big it's also when I'm moving, no. so it's really like I feel like heart palpitations Oof. too. I'm like, oh my god! You're like, surely July can't be that <laughs> can't soon. Can't be that soon. Yes, it really is. Uh... <laughs> hmm. 
It really is. Um, so Trouble is my third Regency book, which is categorized as a rom-com. This is a little, this one's more romance, I think, than the others that I've written, interestingly enough. Um, so the way I like to describe Trouble is that it's like the sound of music if Maria came to the house with like nefarious intentions and was lying about who she was and hated children and wasn't um, a nun ready to make curtain and wasn't a nun clothing and yes sing. it's like what if what if fraulein maria was evil oh, and came to like absolutely rinse this house for everything <laughs> it's worth um and yeah, very much doesn't like kids. So that is the plot of I have a feeling this is going to be like the um, first book I die when we get to the UK. <laughs> <laughs> sounds so, so fun. It's, um, uh, to be honest, what it is for me is kind of a, it's about unlikable protagonists. It's about a protagonist who knows she is unlikable and is very much like, I don't care about being unlikable. This is who I am. And <laughs> you can tell that's a theme for me because... I tend to write a lot of unlikable protagonists. And I'm saying unlikable protagonists, people can't see. I'm putting it in air quotes because a lot of the time what people mean is women who annoy me. <laughs> and there is a tendency for unlikable protagonists to be like flawed women. Of course, they're doing roadworks outside my flat. No, it's Can okay. It's works? all right. We can't no, hear can't, it. Actually. <laughs> okay, good. Um there is a tendency for, yeah, these like unlikable protagonists, protagonists, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> unlikable protagonists tend to be these women who just have flaws or have unlikable traits that would totally be excused in a character who wasn't a woman. Um, and I find it very frustrating. And I also find it frustrating that a lot of the time I see people describe women and girls uh, in books as kind of being badly written or being um, underdeveloped. And what they mean is, I just didn't like this character. So I'm just going to say this character's badly written. And it's like the idea that a character who just is flawed and does things wrong, makes mistakes, like isn't just skipping around kind of happy and rainbows or also isn't just like, I'm completely innocent and I have been put in this new situation. Goodness me, I wonder what will happen next. Like a lot of people don't like. (laughs) (laughs) Although listen, Maria, there's a whole song about how troublesome she is. How do you you solve a problem problem like Maria? (laughs) Exactly. Um, But yeah, I think there is a tendency for people to want their their women protagonists to be like these kind of fresh faced innocents wandering into the story and being like, oh my goodness, what happens to me now? Um, And I do not write characters like that. And I write characters who are messy and ambitious and sometimes a bit self-centered. And I think that they're very realistic characters. Like they're all based on kind of people I know or elements of myself. And I just think it's really disingenuous when we try and say like, yeah, these these are bad characters or, yeah, unlikable just because they have flaws. Because I love a flawed protagonist because yeah. we're all flawed yeah. people. Yeah, anyway, exactly. that's my little soapbox <laughs> rant over. But um, the protagonist of Trouble, her name is Emily. And yeah, I mean, she she's not there to make friends. She hates people. She hates kids. And she is going to this house to be a governess to a grumpy single dad's two teenage children. Um 
and all the staff in the house are very friendly and they all want to like be her besties <laughs> and she's just like absolutely not having any of it any of it not interested because she is there to do crimes i love that <laughs> um so <laughs> that, is, that is what happens in trouble uh, yes. um i love that it's it is weird like when you i keep like regency is a, it's a strange genre to write in honestly um and i there's this review of jane austen's uh, I think it's Pride and Prejudice that went viral that was like, it's just a bunch of people going around to each other's houses. It was like <laughs> yeah. a one-star Amazon review yeah, I saw that. of Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. Just a bunch of people going around to each other's <laughs> houses. And I actually then put a reference to that in my second book, Infamous, because I I was just like, that is true. That is what the book is. And to some people, absolute nightmare. They're like, where's the plot? Where are the dragons? Yeah. And you're like, well... Not in Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. And this um, is, I mean, we, we read yeah, that, so that much is contemporary that it's just like purely character driven. And Jack will be like, what's mm, your book yeah. about? And I'm like, it's just a woman who's in her 20s, just dealing with life. She decisions. goes to the shops. She goes yeah, home. Yeah. She, has some she makes bad decisions yeah. sometimes, <laughs> yeah. you know. Well, that's, that's li- like, I think literary fiction totally gets away with the unlikable protagonist. Because, like, yeah. I just said protagonist again. I don't know what's going <laughs> on with my brain today. Literary fiction totally gets away with the unlikable protagonist because you're expecting different things from literary yeah. fiction. Or at least if you know the genres yeah. you are. And you're like, I'm basically, if I'm reading millennial lit fic, I am expecting to read about a horrible, <laughs> selfish woman who's just going to make a bunch of weird decisions, and the book is going to be only vibes, yeah. and that, and and that's the or end. As, um, yeah. which I also enjoy. Yeah, as friend of the podcast, Genevieve Novak describes it: dumb bitch lit. Like that is what she says. <laughs> she says. Yeah, and it's 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 kind of true. <laughs> yeah i think it's um it's just about expectations isn't Mm. it because you're just like like the idea that in a rom-com or a more light-hearted book you don't want your characters to have flaws doesn't resonate with me because i want all my characters that i read and write to have flaws and to be annoying sometimes um because i know we're here to have fun but like i can't have fun if the character is just a a blank slate who doesn't have a personality or beyond like so before you got your first publishing deal you would built quite a large following on youtube how do you think that that experience uh well a maybe assisted in getting a publishing deal or did not potentially um but also helped with the being like prepared for having a bit of a public profile good question so i uh, had been doing YouTube since I was like 16. So I was very like old guard in the YouTube <laughs> world. Like when I started making YouTube videos, it was incredibly uncool. Nobody did it. If you said to someone at school that you made YouTube videos, it was like so cringe and they would just be horrified and like, oh, okay, so you have no friends. Um, you couldn't make any money from it when I started doing it. So it was like a just genuinely for fun to meet people just a little creative outlet for me when I was 16. And then obviously the landscape of YouTube changed so much that now everyone knows what a YouTuber is. And when they ask kids in school, what do you want to be when you grow up? Apparently they all say YouTuber, which is so horrifying to me. Um, But I also understand because it's like, what they're really saying is like, I want to be famous, which when I was a kid, 
obviously everyone would have been like, I'm going to be a pop star. That's what mm. I used to say. I used to say I'd be an yeah. author or a pop star. And I am an author, but I'm not a pop star. There's still so time. <laughs> I got to get cracking on the other one. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, so I had a manager because YouTube reached a point where you were making money from sponsored videos, etc. You tended to have like a manager who dealt with all your like deals with brands and stuff. And I, uh, Bloomsbury actually, who on my current, my publisher now for my YA approached me and said, do you want to write a book? Because at the time everybody was writing these YouTuber books that were like self-help books because they would sort of take whatever it was you made on YouTube and be like this, you could probably write a book about this. And I made some kind of, you know, inspirational, I say in air quotes again, content. (laughs) So I wrote that book. um, And I think it did not that great because the, the audience for my YouTube videos had grown with me and I was in my twenties. So now all the people who watched me on YouTube were in their twenties. And this was a book for teenagers and some teenagers did read it and it was lovely. And I actually had people come up to me at places like Yalk. And I was like, real teenagers have read this book and came to say hi. (laughs) Yeah, like teenagers who did not know me on YouTube at all and had just had this book bought for them by a parent or had bought it, you know, in a shop. And that was so nice. And I think you often do forget just in publishing in general that like the real readers aren't the people online talking, you know, as in like your main audience are probably not the kind of online Twitter audience or people like people like us who are like totally looking like (laughs) we aren't typical readers you know we are looking for new books and we're seeking things out and we're like think that we're up with the publishing industry we're not just people going into a library and just like picking up yeah exactly and you do often forget those are like the majority of readers and they're like the silent readers because you don't hear from them because they're not tweeting at you but they are reading the books anyway again I've gone on a massive tangent so I after that was asked if I wanted to write fiction and I said no because I didn't have an idea and I had never written fiction apart from fan fiction and um I just didn't think I was ready and I just was like I didn't want to sell a book to a publisher that I hadn't written and then have to go and write it when I didn't know if I was capable of writing a book but I had always wanted to write a novel and you know since I was a kid had been like making my little little novels where you'd staple a bunch of pieces of paper together and then you only had the amount of pages you'd stapled because you could only add paper in the middle and after that you couldn't make the book any longer because you'd already drawn the cover (laughs) anyway um So I'm like, I'm sure that's very relatable. Um, oh, it, oh, the amount of people who have said that to us, though, it's so cute. It's one of these things that then yeah, that's what I used when to people do. say to us, like, oh, are you two writers? And we go, mm, no, no, not that way. And it's like, I know I never made a paper book when I was a kid. I was not, it's not in me, you know, like everyone no, seems to have done that. I did write a fake it. newspaper column, though. So that was some foreshadowing for me working mm, as a journalist. Thing, okay. Yeah. Yes, you were like, I will be a writer. (laughs) Anyway, so then I was always trying to write. uh, After that, I was always trying to write fiction and I had a few ideas and they never went anywhere. And then one day I just had the idea for reputation when I was on holiday in Japan, actually. And I, by the time I got home from Japan, I'd written 10,000 words because I had my iPad with me. And at night and on trains and on the plane home, I just wrote 
the book because I was like, yeah. this is, I got to get this idea out while it's still exciting yeah. to me. Because the thing about me is I can only write a book if I'm having fun. If I'm not having fun, I can't write the book, which is a little <laughs> bit of a problem. But anyway, um, I, I had uh, an agent from my previous book, from my nonfiction book, but he wasn't interested in my fiction work. And I think probably because the nonfiction didn't sell that well, it was like, why would I care? And so I went out and queried um the kind of normal way where I was approaching agents cold and I am 100% sure that agents must have looked and been like oh you have followers on the internet that makes me more interested because I had a couple of um offers I think I had three offers in the end but I also had so many rejections and I think we had basically reached a point and this was in 2019 we had reached a point where the industry had realized that being a youtuber or an influencer doesn't necessarily sell books and it doesn't always translate and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't so there was a time where you could literally as a youtuber just immediately get a great book deal and they would throw money at you um and i had missed that time basically so i was a little bit too late to the party but i think that was good in a way because it meant that i I wasn't just, you know, I, I, I did believe that the agents who did like me did actually like my writing because so many yeah. agents said no. Um, and it's interesting that you say that because you had kind of done that bit already with your nonfiction book. And as you said about agents, it's like that thing of like, oh, we've got followers on the internet, yay. But also a lot of people probably would have been like, but this other book, fail no like yeah so yeah totally and actually with my first agent I never had to query because my manager at the time just went here's your agent and I had no say in it I was just given an agent which now (laughs) I realize was absolutely not how it worked I was also told by him that it was like not the done thing to leave an agent like you weren't allowed to leave your agent and I and then obviously I realized later that he was absolutely talking shit and that's just not the case. And he just didn't want to lose his 5% or whatever, because he was still taking on top of the agent's fee, he was taking a percentage. Um, So anyway, I then got an agent, my current agent, Chloe Seeger, who is brilliant. And after that, uh, things proceeded kind of as they always would. And as I said before, with reputation, people were like, we don't want Regency. It's not the done thing. Also, the age of the book was difficult because originally we pitched it YA and the characters were kind of 18 and then it got aged up a little bit and they were in their early 20s because um, it just wasn't quite right for YA. I mean, if yeah. <laughs> Reputation has a lot of drug taking, a lot of alcohol. So <laughs> I think people were just like, mm, not so much. <laughs> not so sure about this. Um, but yeah, it, it was it ended up being quite a typical experience in terms of I had a couple of agent. Well, I say typical experience. I know lots of people query for years and it is very difficult and I absolutely do think that, yeah, it would have helped having that audience, but got a couple of agent offers, got lots of rejections. Um, and then with querying, I had six months of rejections. Nobody wanted to buy the book. And we reached a point where we were just kind of like, maybe we'll shelve this because no one wants Regency. Like it's just not the the thing right now. And then luckily, yeah, my one publisher took a chance on it and it was a small deal, but I was like, <laughs> I'm, I really want this book to be published. I worked very hard on it. So we ended up, uh, yeah, selling, selling to that publisher. And then Bridgerton <laughs> came out. Thank you, Bridgerton, because e- 
even though you never know with the timing of the publishing mm. industry, it could have been that if we'd had that manuscript ready to go when Bridgerton happened, we could have got loads of money for it or whatever. But ultimately, um, reputation ended up selling in 13 languages. So that mm. is huge. And, you know, 50% of those deals were for more money than it originally sold for in the UK because people don't realize a lot of the time that translation deals can be a huge part of your income as an author. So, I always like Bridgerton like is not my favorite thing. Haven't read the books. I I like the TV show. I don't love it, but I honestly just, I love Bridgerton because it was such a huge boost to me so early in my career. So I'm so (laughs) grateful to Bridgerton for existing. Um, But yeah, that was my, that was my journey into publishing. So it was kind of in some ways, I think definitely made easier. Um, But I also think that people assumed that it would just be so easy and that I would instantly sell the book and that because I had followers, it would just be like, wow, of course we must have this. When in actual fact, we came like this close to just shelving it because in the end, only one publisher wanted it. And yeah, that that's who, that's who it went to because it was the only option. In a way though, is that kind of, um, I guess, reassuring, as you said before, to sort of know that they're picking it on the strength of your writing and not on the number of followers you had, as opposed to maybe if yeah. it had been a little bit earlier or even in your any career. other factor. Yeah. Like the fact, <laughs> the fact that, that it's like Bridgerton. Maybe or... you would have had yeah. an offer after Bridgerton had actually yeah. aired. Like it got picked oh, up yeah. before that even. Yeah. I mean, that it, it does help. Um, but I also think that publishing is such a weird industry and there is no one sort of pure right way to get into it and lots of people some people don't have to query because they they never they're never on the slush pile they know an agent some people come from a different writing background something like journalism and they are approached to write books and same with you know youtubers and influencers some people are approached to write books some people are celebrities and have books ghost written for them like there are no there's no kind of one way and I think lots of people who spend years in the kind of trenches of trying to get an agent and then trying to sell the book I understand why if you look at like a celebrity who just gets given a book deal it is frustrating and especially now that I've moved into children's the amount of celebrities writing children's books where you're just a bit like oh did you even really write this (laughs) oh god but ultimately it's just like this is it's a it's a business Mm. and it's it's always going to be like this because it's always a kind of follow the money situation like we love to believe that it's all for the art and obviously lots of people who work in publishing do love books and reading Mm. but there is a bottom line at the end of the day so I just think like there is yeah there is no one way to get into publishing and it's uh (laughs) it's it's kind of it can be difficult roads regardless Mm. of like how you come into it I think yeah and on that note too I guess I saw Mm. on your stories a few days ago I think that someone had asked you a question about um trouble coming out so quickly and stuff and I know you said that like that wouldn't in an ideal world would not happen this way this quickly um but you sort of I think to sum it up a little bit you sort of said it's sometimes necessary to actually make a living as an author and I think a lot of people don't realize how little authors minimum like sort of average wage can be especially when it's skewed by people getting massive and we hear about people getting massive massive book deals 
but the reality is, especially mm. um, as well, especially in like children's and YA, which are even smaller markets, um, it can be it can be really difficult. Do you mind telling us a little bit more about that? And I guess how you found that process of of yeah making a living as an author. So I have been a full time author since August twenty twenty one, and I was lucky in that the timing of kind of the deals that I was getting for so for Gwen and Art sold for more money than I had sold my previous book for and it was enough that I was like okay this is more like a kind of salary money and that's very rare um and I'm lucky that it sold in the US and the UK because obviously that's two separate deals and that made it more realistic that I could quit my job um I was still too scared to quit my job because I was like, well, yeah, this is a little bit of money. And then you could never sell a book again. So you can't just, there was a horror story that was published a few years ago about this woman who who got a bunch of six figure deals and then ended up broke because she thought she would just get six figure deals forever. And she moved to New York and she started not caring about money because she was like, this is my salary now. But I am very, very cautious. Yeah, that makes me feel sick just thinking about that. That's very scary. (laughs) No good. No good. Absolutely terrifying. Um, But yeah, obviously the reality is most people don't make enough money from books to be full time. And lots of people still have other jobs. And I write my first two books alongside uh, a full nine to five, although I was lucky that I was able to reduce to four days a week during that process at my job, which obviously most people can't do. So that was good. Um, But yeah, I, after I had the deal for Gwen and Art, I was like, oh, okay, it's maybe more realistic that I could quit my job and go freelance. And um, because I'm kind of in the social media video production world uh, as my kind of day job. And then I was also offered a deal, a two book deal for some follow-ups to reputation. So that's infamous, which is already out and trouble, which is coming out in July. And that was a a kind of combined with the Gwen and art money. That was enough money to be like, okay, I can give this a go. And actually one of the main things that helped as well was the reputation translation deals. So getting paid 13 different advances um, for translation deals, that was also kind of enough to be like a year's wages. Um, So I was like, okay, here's the amount of money I have. I can probably make this work until 2024, early 2024, which means that by mid 2023, which you'll notice we are currently in right now. So if I sound a little bit shrill, as I say this, it's because I'm scared. Um, I was like, when I, when I get to mid 2023, I need to, cause my contracts will be coming up. I need to know what I'm going to do next. And I don't yet know what I'm doing next. So that's why I sound nervous and I'm laughing very nervously. But yeah, so to make it work, I just basically had to take on four books at the same time. And they're not all at the same time. But this last year I was working on, I think, four at the same time. And that doesn't mean I was writing them all at the same time, but I was editing them or I was, I mean, yeah, editing them. (laughs) (laughs) Editing or drafting. Yeah, people say all the time, it's like, well, you're writing one, editing one and promoting another one. Mm. Yes, exactly. Exactly. All of that all the time. Yeah. And actually the writing one, editing one, promoting one is usually when you're only bringing out one a year because, yeah, just the way that the cycle works, like you wrote it a year ago. So you're writing the next one the year before, but that one is coming out. And like, it's just, 
it, it is very, very stressful and I would not recommend it. Um, but I really wanted <laughs> to leave my job because I was finding it very stressful and I thought it was, it would be good to sort of take a chance on this, but yeah, it did mean that I probably shouldn't have said, yeah, I'll do four books in like I two can do years. That's fine. Because that <laughs> is, yeah, no, it's not good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it well, is very yeah, not good. Speaking yeah. to people who constantly um, take on too much. Um, so we get it. We get it. <laughs> yeah. It's un it's unpleasant. I would not recommend the experience. But then at the same time I feel like I'm so lucky to be doing this that I don't want to complain. But it is very hard. And there have been a lot of moments of me just being like, I can't do this anymore. And you know, I've been people talk about being on deadline when you're a writer, which usually means like you have an imminent deadline coming up. You are writing to a deadline. But I've been on deadline for like a year and a half at this point. And <laughs> probably longer than that because I, I can't do math <laughs> um, since August 2021 I've been on deadline and it's there's been I think maybe maybe there was one week where I didn't have a deadline looming so I'm very much at the point where I just keep saying when this deadline is over <laughs> then I'll rest yeah. but I've been saying that since August 2021 um, and often you're on two or three deadlines at the same yeah. time so it's like I was meant to be editing this book but I'm also meant to be writing this thing and I'm also meant to be doing the past pages for this other book so it is very intense and uh I I kind of think longingly of the idea of having one book come out a year <laughs> that would be so nice but who knows what's in the future yeah. certainly not me I have not made my plan for what I'm going to do next so. <laughs> well it'll yeah, be fine it, I'm sure it will be I'm, I'm sure, sure it will be fine be. um and you know <laughs> you you've just got to focus on the the next two books <laughs> in the meantime yeah you've just got to get through that yeah just got to get through that it's like that meme that's yeah. like i i think adulthood is just like i've just got to get through this week like every day until like until you die yes pretty much yeah <laughs> yeah until you die yeah that is that is exactly yeah. what this feels like it is it. it is very yeah. much that yeah absolutely <laughs> um we have covered a lot we've you know there's, there's still lots of stuff we didn't get to ask, but I think we've taken up enough of your time. Um, <laughs> could you please tell us where people can find and follow you online? I can, if I can remember it. So, I mean, I don't know if anyone's even on Twitter anymore. It's like a burning <laughs> wasteland. We probably shouldn't be on it, but I'm Lex Croucher on there because uh, they, they took away my verification <laughs> badge and I was like, finally, I can change it to my real name. Um <laughs> And on Instagram and TikTok, I'm Lex Can Raw, which is a hangover from my YouTube days, and it is quite embarrassing. Which is why I want to change them all to be Lex Croucher, but haven't done that yet because um, on that Instagram I would lose my verification badge. That's the tragic thing. It's like yeah. we we all now know that having a verification badge is embarrassing, <laughs> but that's that's Elon's fault. I've decided. Um, the silver lining is you got to change and... your handle though. <laughs> I know, I know. But yeah, so on Instagram and, and TikTok, I am Lex Can Raw. And then I have a website, which is lexcroucher.co.uk. Um, built it myself on Squarespace. Yeah. So if you're like, wow, this looks basic, <laughs> that's why. Um, so the glowing endorsement. <laughs> I love that I basically just done an ad for Squarespace on your podcast when we're 
I assume this podcast is not sponsored by Squarespace. It's not sponsored by anyone. It's just, it's just an expensive hobby. No, we do whatever it's we an want. expensive and time-consuming <laughs> hobby that allows us to just we love those. talk to people. Basically, yeah. we're massive book nerds and we just get to talk to really awesome people like yourself under the premise of delivering good content for people that we don't get paid for, <laughs> which is fine. <laughs> Love that. (laughs) But it is just an excuse to talk to people we think are really awesome. So thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. By the time we release this episode, Gwen and Art will be out so people can enjoy it. And Trouble will be coming very soon um, in July. So, yes, we're very excited. Terrifying. Hello, future people. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it sounds amazing um and we already know that Gwen and Art is wonderful so yeah everybody has to get copies and enjoy them thank you for listening to better words you can chat to us on instagram at better words pod and follow me michelle at unfinished bookshelf and me caitlin at just a bookish babe if you liked this episode please share it with a book loving friend and leave a rating or review